You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. My name is Micah Hasty, and I am the pastor of worship here at the North Canton Chapel. And I am excited and honored to be able to open the scriptures this morning and to worship with you uh, through the teaching of God's Word. Today we're wrapping up our series in the book of James, and it's, it's been a great series that we've been through all summer long. It's hard to believe that summer is coming to an end. feels like we just got started. Uh, but we're going to be in James chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20 today. So if you want to go ahead and scroll there in your Bible app or turn there in your Bible, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version today. And so like I said, we've been walking through this book all summer long, and it's been a really challenging, and for me, it's been an encouraging study. Um, I think it's been also pretty timely. See, James has helped us to see that doctrine and life are inseparable. Doctrine and life are inseparable. And to put it another way, our faith is a living faith. Our faith was never meant to be stagnant. It wasn't meant to only be intellectual and philosophical. Our faith is not just a collection of moral ideals or suggestions. It's not orthodoxy alone. See, our faith naturally blooms into practice. It's practical. It's hands-on. It moves into the neighborhood. It is a messy and beautiful faith. See, our faith is intellectually deep and immensely practical because our God is infinitely almighty and intimately approachable. Hebrews 14.6 tells us that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Now see, James isn't content to let us live these pristine lives where we merely speak words about a Jesus that died to save sinners. No, he actually wants us to get the dirt under our fingernails and the sweat on our brow as we live out the love of Jesus to a lost and dying world. See, James calls us to glance at life and to gaze at God. He draws our attentions off of this world and fixes our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite preachers, uh, and he comments on the book of James saying this, Unless we purposefully live with a view of the next world, we cannot make much of our present existence. And within this season in our lives, I believe that most of our nation are asking questions about what it looks like for us to form a better world. And I believe the answers to how we create a better world in the here and now are found when we begin the conversation with a correct view of the world to come. We must embrace a kingdom perspective, an eternal perspective. 
See, Spurgeon acknowledges the tensions that we have felt as we've studied the book of James. He acknowledges that this is a supernatural faith that again moves into the very natural places of our lives. But unless we are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to cause our hearts and minds to be fully focused on Jesus, we will never truly live out our faith the way that we should. Jesus is the center of the book of James. We've learned that in every, section, in every section, in every proverbial sentence, it brings us to a place where we must acknowledge that we cannot live out our faith on our own. When we try, we fall hopelessly flat. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live out our faith in word and in deed, in any semblance of something good and pure and holy. And today it's my hope that we will all see that running to the Father should be our first response in both bad and good times. Let me say that again. Running to the Father should be our response, our first response, in both bad and good times. In all things, James calls us to first run to Jesus. In the very first message of the series, Pastor Brandon reminded us that when God calls us to faith, he calls us to himself. God doesn't drop us off in the middle of some desert of faith to kind of stagger along in search of water. No, God gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. Now this morning, as we look at this text in James 5, verses 13 through 20, there's a lot to cover. There's a lot of things, and we could probably spend another three months just looking at this section, but uh, we're just going to dive in. We're going to dig into this text and we're going to unpack it. I'll be honest, I don't have a ton of funny stories or illustrations about my cute kids. Like, There's none of that because really all we have room for is just the text. And if I'm honest, I think it speaks for itself so clearly and it calls us to better things. So would you pray with me as we begin this time together and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, God, would you speak through me? Would you reveal the truths of this text? Would you speak into our hearts? Would you guide us into truth and show us the ways that we are not walking in the way everlasting? Show us the ways that we have turned from you. Show us the ways that our eyes have been blinded. And would you be the opener of eyes that are blind? Show us who you are, and how we are to live. Jesus, we want to live by your love and your grace. Would you cause us to do that? Instill in us the courage. In your name, amen. So James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Let's read together. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James helps us to examine our circumstances and our hearts. And then he offers us some really clear next steps. He asks the question, is anyone among you suffering? As we look around our world, now over halfway through the year 2020, the answer to that question is pretty simple. Yes. Now, it's important to note, and I, I feel like this is really important for us to hit just early on, and I'm going to get a little heavy, so hang with me. We have to draw a line between the differences between suffering and inconvenience. See, early on, when I wasn't able to go to my favorite restaurants, I was not suffering. I was inconvenienced. When I had to work at home from my basement with my daughters knocking on the basement door, wondering when my workday was going to be done so that I could come upstairs and play, I was not suffering. While I also experienced a little bit of joy because of my daughters, I, truthfully, I was just inconvenienced. And let's not mistake this. If we live in America, and most of you, I believe probably 99.9% .9 of you watching this message, you live in America, and if you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top 93.4% of the world. You are richer than 93% of the world. If you make $25,000 a year, not just America, not Ohio, globally, you are in the top 6.6% of the richest people on the planet. We are richer than we realize. So let's not, again, let's not in equate inconvenience and suffering. Those things are very different. In fact, it's probably a good thing for us as we're talking about suffering to kind of remove finances from that side of things, especially as Americans, because for the most part, we don't suffer when it comes to finances. We are more rich than we know. And while the loss of a job can cause suffering, while financial hardship can cause us to feel that way, and I'm not discounting that, there is a difference here. See, the word suffering in the Greek here is kakopatheo, and it means to undergo hardship or distress or to suffer misfortune. See, this word suffering is also translated throughout Scripture as the word affliction. And in the Baker Bible Encyclopedia, it defines this as anything that causes pain or distress, suffering or calamity. And it continues, From the biblical viewpoint, affliction began with the entrance of sin into the world. Both mankind and all creation were afflicted with thorns and thistles, sin, death, and decay. Because of our sin, misery is a common human experience, and our short life is full of trouble. It's impossible for human beings to avoid natural calamity, physical injury, and interpersonal conflict. Yet... God uses affliction to instruct and discipline his people. God uses affliction to instruct and discipline his people. See, there are those who are truly suffering. 
I'm sure that there are some of you who are watching that you may be suffering. You've suffered the loss of a loved one. You've suffered the loss of a job. You've suffered emotionally or mentally under deep distress over wrongs that you have done or wrongs that have been done to others. Some are suffering from anxieties that overwhelm you. And if you are there, can I tell you this, my friend? There is hope. See, Scripture doesn't leave us without direction on what to do here. Look again at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? What does it tell us to do? Look at the next section. Pray. Pray. James encourages those who are suffering with a prescription to run to the Father, to go to Him in prayer. He tells us, don't weather the storm alone. You are incapable of bearing that weight. Only God is strong and mighty as a fortress for us. Only he can provide shelter from the storms of suffering in this life. And so today, if you are in suffering, look to him in prayer. James then shifts to the other side of the coin. He asks another question. Is anyone among you cheerful? In the Greek, this cheerful word literally means to not be anxious, to be worry-free. If anyone among you is worry-free, content, or at peace, is there anyone among you who is cheerful? Now, I don't know about you, but the only cheerful people that I truly wrestle with are the ones that try to talk to me early on in the morning before I've had my cup of coffee. You know who you are. <laughs> James gives to you another prescription. Those of you who are worry-free. And isn't it interesting? He says, let him sing praise. You know, I don't know about you, but whenever I feel worry-free or carefree, it's not uncommon for me to start humming a tune or whistling something or just singing as I'm walking around my house. And I don't know if that hits you when you do that, but it's interesting that that's a natural response for me in moments whenever I feel worry-free. And I think that's true of many of us. But James tells us here, let him sing praise. It's as if God has hardwired into us this expression of how our hearts feel when we are acknowledging the blessings and the graces of God to us. You know, what I love the most about sing praise here is ultimately that this same prescription is given to those who are suffering. Now, it might, it's a different context and tone. Prayer and praise are different things, but ultimately, the heart of them is the same. When you are cheerful, run to the Father. Run to the Father and tell Him how thankful you are for His blessings and His grace. When you are at peace, run to the Prince of Peace and thank Him. Praise Him for His goodness. Praise Him for His mercy. And once again, we are incapable of manufacturing false blessings and grace. We're incapable of our own true happiness. Everything that we do that makes us even a little bit happy will somewhat fail us if it is not rooted in the person and work of Jesus. See, God in his mercy has shown us grace and a great kindness and that we can run to the Father and praise him. James continues in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Hmm. You know, there's been a lot 
of sickness in our world. And I personally, I've been very thankful for our first responders, for our healthcare professionals, for those that are, are working so hard to try and figure out what do we do as people during this time of pandemic. And there are many who have been less fortunate than my family. Truthfully, we've been very, um, it hasn't affected us very much at all during this time. But James prescribes for those who are sick something interesting. He says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This is kind of a strange prescription, isn't it? It's a strange action. What are we, what's this whole thing with oil? What are we doing here? Well, first notice that this call doesn't come from the elders of the church. It doesn't come from the pastors or the shepherds. It comes from the person who is sick. And it's noted here that this is an individual who is seeking after God for healing. He's looking to the healer. It's an example for us of a heart that is submitting to the sovereignty of God. And just like the first two examples, it's a call for us to run to the Father. Because at the core of this prescription is one that seeks the glory of God above all else. And it rests in the sovereign grace of God. Now, I've had the privilege of being a part of two different uh, anointing with oil prayers for the sick during my time as a pastor. And in both of those experiences, the presence of the Holy Spirit in those rooms, it was so prominent. And this act of anointing someone with oil, it's actually very symbolic throughout Scripture. See, in, in Scripture, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God rested on an individual and that was symbolized through scripture by anointing with oil. We see this uh, in the supplies that are brought for the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 35 and, and 40 where they literally anoint the tabernacle with oil because it's, it signified the presence of God being on that place. We see it again as Moses consecrates Aaron and his sons to be priests over the people of Israel because they would be the ones who facilitated the presence of God for those people. He anoints them with oil. This anointing oil was meant to symbolize that a person or a place had been set apart by God for a specific purpose and his presence was with them. And so the anointing of oil for the healing of the sick is something that we, we even see the disciples do. As Jesus sends them out in Mark chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, read this text. It says, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. See, James' prescription for the healing of sick ties back to both Old Testament worship in the presence of God and Jesus' directives for his disciples as they go out into ministry. And let's look at what he says that the results of these prayers would be. Again, James chapter 5, verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, there's another tension that we need to address in James' words. 
in both Mark 6 and James 5, we see the healing of physical sickness being tied to a spiritual sickness. And if we don't examine the whole narrative of Scripture, we might be tempted to believe that all sickness is ultimately a derivative of sin. Now, to be clear, uh, death, decay, sickness, they are a result of the fall of original sin that we see in Genesis 3. But we're talking about, is there a connection between my personal individual sin and my physical health? Now, let's bring this really close to home, if you'll go there with me. Um, So both my mom and my dad got cancer and they died from it. Do I believe that they died, that they got cancer as a result of their personal sin against God? No, I don't. Has everyone who has contracted COVID-19, have they gotten that because of personal sin in their lives against God? I don't know. Ultimately, that's between them and God. I believe God can and has used sickness as a means to both punish sin and to draw people to himself. He uses it as a means of both instruction in drawing us closer to Jesus and in discipline in drawing us closer to Jesus. And I believe that sometimes people get sick not out of sin, but ultimately because God desires to use that sickness for his glory. May I call our minds to the account of Job in the Old Testament. See, Job is a man who loved God, who walked blamelessly before him, and Satan goes before God and says, let me test your servant Job so that he might curse you. And God allows Satan free reign over Job, over his family, his finances, his well-being, his perspective within his community, over his physical health. And Job doesn't renounce God. Had Job done anything specifically to sin against God where God was coming after him with the sickness? No. But God was allowing him to be tested for the glory of God. And then also we see uh, Jesus' interaction with him and his disciples in John chapter 9 with the man born blind. The text reads, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not this man, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, even though I have not personally contracted COVID-19, this pandemic has truly drawn my heart to rest in Jesus evermore. It's forced me uh, in my own personal rhythms to run to the Father. Look again in verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. What kind of a prayer does James describe here? It's the prayer of faith. 
when I am praying in faith and resting in the sovereign nature of God over my spiritual and my, and my physical sickness, God is honored. He is worshiped. He is trusted. He is glorified. And notice also this prayer of faith. It's not transactional. It's not uh, that I pray this prayer of faith and God automatically heals me no matter what. That's not what this is. And then the text reads, and if, not because, but if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I am forgiven in Christ. I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am made new. Jesus is my hope, my peace, and I rest in him. And when my body fails, not if, but when, I can rest in the healer who makes all things new. And I'll be raised up with him. See, knowing all of this, James pleads with us. Therefore, and whenever you're reading scripture and you see therefore, again, always ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Um, in verse 16 and beyond in this passage, they don't make a whole lot of sense out of context. And so you need to have what we've already covered for this stuff to make sense. So again, verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has power as it is working. See, the prayer of faith is an acknowledgement on the part of the one seeking healing that God is the ultimate source of hope and healing. And James reminds us of something that we have all been reminded of during this season of isolation. We need each other. This is not a solo gig. We don't confess our sins to the man in the mirror asking him to change his ways. Sorry, I had to. What we just learned there is that Michael Jackson actually isn't a very good theologian. Surprise, surprise. Um, but no, we can't just look at ourselves in the mirror and change our ways. We can't do it on our own. In fact, we are incapable of true self-betterment apart from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Our relationship with God is a grace that was never meant to take place in isolation. We are God's children. We are spiritual siblings, if you will. We didn't get to pick each other. God chose us for each other because in his divine providence, he knew that we needed each other. And I hope that you can see a theme that James is repeating over and over here again. He says, we are going to God. We're going to run to the Father together in prayer. In all circumstances, we are to seek him first in, the, in bad times and in good times because Jesus is the center of it all. And James ends that verse with this statement that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I don't know about you, but if someone were to walk up to me and they were to say, hey, you know, Micah, you are a pretty righteous guy. Um, I would question their word usage on righteous. Um, I'd wonder if they really knew me very well, if I had some identical twin that they didn't know about. And really, I'd be thinking, friend, that's nice of you to say, but obviously you don't know me. Now, 
I try to pursue righteous living. I try to be a righteous man, but I fail miserably. Just ask my wife and my kids. They've seen the full idiocy that can be me. Anyone else ever been there? Yeah, I think many of us have. Well, James knows that none of us can be the righteous person apart from Christ. And so in the next two verses, what James does, uh, if you're just reading straight through and not paying a lot of attention, you might feel like this comes kind of out of left field. But what James does is he points to someone in the Old Testament that many of his readers would have considered righteous. He looks at Elijah. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed, he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James levels the playing field for us. See, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. What's he saying? Elijah was an idiot just like you. <laughs> Elijah was a sinful man. Elijah had all kinds of faults and flaws just like you. And everything good in Elijah, everything miraculous or supernatural that he did, came from the Father. Pastor Andy Stanley once said, There's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. And that means there's no good it's, it, there's no good in me looking at Elijah or Martin Luther or John Calvin or any of the reformers or John Piper or Francis Chan or Matt Chandler or Billy Graham or fill in your favorite Christian leader. Like there's no good in me looking at them or my mom or my dad or my grandma to compare my spiritual walk to theirs. Now, it's good for me to be able to look to them and learn from them and to learn where they're going. But God is going to work through you and I in the way that he desires to work through you and I. He's going to sanctify us in the ways that he knows that we need to be sanctified. He doesn't care that you are not as righteous as, say, the Apostle Paul. Because ultimately, the Apostle Paul isn't the standard. Jesus is the standard. And last time I checked, as I read the pages of Scripture, you and I, we're never going to be as big as Jesus. We're never going to get this thing right the way that he got it right. So if we could just agree to shut down this idol factory pride show that lives in our hearts and rest in the fact that the grace of God, that by the grace of God, we can never be good enough. If someone told you at some point in your life, hey, you know what, it's okay, you can be good enough. They were lied to and they were lying to you. You cannot be good enough. If you could have been righteous enough on your own, Jesus would not have to have been completely brutalized, bloodied, and ripped to shreds on a cross where he breathed his last and died for your sins. The grace of God is the only thing that allows any of our prayers of faith to have power as they are working. It's only by the grace of God that we move forward in our walk with him in spiritual maturity. You know, there's a quote from the 1989 film Fat Man and Little Boy uh, about World War II and the, the bombing of Hiroshima and the tragedies that, that happened there. It says, you ought to stop playing God because you're not good at it 
and the position is taken. Stop comparing your faith, your prayer life to others, and then walking around kicking the dust in remorse. Would you instead run to the Father, rest in his grace, his love, and his power, and he will provide everything that you need? James concludes with another call for the need to clarify this role of community in following Jesus. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, this isn't a solo sport. This is an all-in game. We all help each other. And I don't know about you, but the moments when I have gotten off track in my spiritual life and I've had someone call me out on sin in my life and they've drawn me back to the Father, those moments for me have been glorious blessings of grace. See, we were never meant to do it alone. And James knows this. And he helps us to realize that we are to run to the Father in our sufferings, in our cheerfulness, in our sickness, in our prayers. And we are also to run to the Father together. This is how we gospel each other. We remind each other of the goodness and the grace of God when we lose sight of him. We look to the cross, we glance at our lives, and we gaze at God, we turn our eyes upon Jesus. This morning, the team is going to close our time by singing a song by Cody Carnes. It's a song called Run to the Father. And today, as they sing, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully reflect on what James calls us to do. So this morning... As you sit in your living room or at your, in your bed, in your PJs, wherever you are, if you're suffering, would you pray to the Father? Rest in his grace. Hand over your sufferings to him. This morning, if you are cheerful and worry-free, would you take this time and run to the Father in praise and thanksgiving? This morning, if you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to seek prayer for healing, if you want to run to the Father by resting in his sovereign will over your physical and spiritual sickness, you can go online and fill out our digital prayer card and let our pastors and our team know we would love to pray for you. Maybe this morning you realize that you've been running alone for too long and you need community. Maybe you need to hop into Rooted this fall or join a missional community or, or hop into a Bible study and, and do this thing with other people. If that's the case, you can also fill out that digital card and we would love to connect you and get you connected. Follow where the Holy Spirit guides you this morning. Lean in to the things that he is saying to your heart. Press into him. Wherever he guides you, go. But whatever you do this morning, run to the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in every circumstance, 
you have made a way for us to come to you. That you've made it so we don't need to run to temporary comforts, but instead we can rest in the comforter. God, that we don't have to seek after spiritual and physical healing. God, running after those things instead of resting in the healer. God, that we can't work hard enough or be good enough on our own but instead we rest in you as our redeemer and our rescuer, our salvation. Father, you have been so good to us. Would you help us in our sufferings, in our joys, in our sicknesses, to come together, to rally our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit around who you are and who you have called us to be. We love you, Father. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.